2016 was sort of what I call like nightmare for mobile churches because Christmas landed on Sunday, New Year's Day landed on Sunday, and when you don't own your facility, it makes things really difficult. And so, you know, we got super creative, and I think that's what Southeast does well, is we get creative, and we know how to do things like that. And so, if you didn't participate in the Christmas parties, they were an amazing, amazing time, and it's one of those things that I think we're just going to keep doing it anyways next year. And it was a great opportunity for people to hang out, to get together, to celebrate Christmas together. And then on New Year's, a bunch of us gathered and hung out at Chicago's Pizza and had pizza and frozen yogurt, and kids were running around everywhere. I don't even know. My kids ended up taking yogurt, I think, straight out of the machines because they were just sort of loose and all over the place. But, but it was just a really cool way just to hang out, just to have a lot of fun. And that was, to me, like, that, that was like Southeast right there. And we just, we just have that ability to be creative like that. And so, so I'm just, I'm, a, I'm excited about that. I loved it, but, but I love being back here in this place with you guys. Now, last week we, we did celebrate New Year's Day together. And if you're anything like me, you're sort of ready for 2017 to begin. You're like 2016 can die and finish and be over with and we can move on because 2017 needs to come. I had a friend that won the internet already because he said the only reason I survived to 2017 was because I'm not a celebrity. And so I kind of thought about that every day you kind of wake up and it was weird, right? Because like Prince died and Carrie Fisher died and you look around you're like every day somebody's saying, oh man, sorry to see you. You're like, really? Like what's going on? Apparently... Apparently, there, there are not any more celebrity deaths than there have been in the past. We're just more aware because of Facebook and things like that. But it felt that way, right? It just seemed like everybody's dying. What's going on here? And then, 2016 was good. The Cubs won the World Series. That's a great thing. So, so it's sort of like, it's kind of like bipolar thing going on with the year. I don't know what's happening. And then, I don't care what your political affiliation is, you're, you're just glad that next year is not an election year, regardless of what you feel about politics. Let's just at least be thankful. There will be no political ads in 2017. Yes! Yes! That, that is exciting. No matter who you are, that's exciting. So, there, there's just something about the new year starting. And, and, but if you think about it, it's kind of weird too, right? Because... I started to think about it, and I thought, all these people cram into Times Square. All these, all these people, you know, are staring at a ball. People are having parties, and they're counting down till midnight. My daughter's six, and she's trying to stay up because she wants to see the new year. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, so really all we're celebrating is that the sun stayed where it was. The earth stayed in its orbit and got around the sun a whole other time. Yay, earth, you know, you stayed in orbit. That's awesome. There's really not anything amazing about it. There's nothing special about it when you really think about it. But at the same time, there is something about the new year. There's something about having a fresh start. It doesn't really matter who you are. Everybody wants a fresh beginning, a new start. There, we look back, there are things that we want to redo. There are things that we want to start again. There are people here that you say, you know, my goals are I want to lose some weight. I want to start that new thing. I want to finish that project that I started last year. There are pieces about us that we say, this new year, there are things that I want to do. Some people call them resolutions. I don't know what you call them, but some people think about resolutions. Maybe you have some of your resolutions. And there are things that you say, if I could just do this, that would change everything. If I could do this, that would change everything for me. You know, I just, 
I need a fresh start. And so in some ways, the new year does give us that. But here's the thing I want to talk about over the next few weeks. Is what if, what if we didn't just have to wish for change? What if we didn't have to look at things and say, oh, if, if I could just do this, things would look different, things would be better. If I could just have this happen, my life would change, my life would be different. What if we didn't have to just wish for that? Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that mean like a ton? Wouldn't that change everything? In scriptures, and I always talk about this, the Bible is a book that is written from the perspective of people who didn't just write down stories so they could tell more stories. They wrote down stories because they experienced change in their life. They experienced a God who actually made something occur, something happen that brought about incredible change in their lives and changed everything. See, people back then, when you wrote stuff down, it mattered. It was important. People wrote down about wars because wars changed borders. It changed kingdoms. It changed who people's gods were. It, it had the ability to reset everything. If you're going to write it down, it matters because it's important because everything is changing. When we look at Scripture just as a bunch of stories, we don't see that. But when we start to look at Scripture and we say, this is a book of people who have experienced incredible things and incredible change, it begins to change the way we look at it. it. begins to have a little bit more meaning. There was a guy named Paul. I, I talk about Paul all the time because he is so incredibly important in the Scriptures. In the New Testament, he wrote all these letters to all of these churches. And in one of those letters, he began to write down something about change. And I want you to hear what he had to say. Listen to, listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, now listen to that again. Just, just this one short verse. We're just going to hang out on this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Now, Paul was an absolute expert in change. Paul experienced such an incredible change in his life that his friends didn't know him as Paul. They knew him as Saul. His life changed so dramatically that his entire name changed. And he talks about that change in Acts 26. Now, the book of Acts, we'd find just a few pages to the left of this letter, is about the birth of the church. An incredible time of change. Upheaval, things that are happening. The church is beginning. And in that story, we hear about Paul. And I want you to listen to his story in his own words. We're not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to, to listen to his story about the change that took place in his life. Listen to this in Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Now Paul is in front of these people, defending himself, defending change that has taken place in his life. What has happened to him? What does change has come over him? Who he is? What he's about? And so then he tells his story. Paul motioned with his hand. He began his defense. King Agrippa, 
I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, Paul's talking about the Jews here because he is a Jew. And as we're going to find out, Paul became a Christian. And if you remember the story in Acts, and just as a reminder, let me talk about this is that the story of Jesus, this is is, as he's resurrected, as he dies and then he's resurrected. His disciples follow him. All these people start to follow him. The message of these early Christians is something that really shouldn't be that popular. Because they're in Jerusalem, which is the center of the Jewish faith, the center of the Jewish people. (laughs) They look around at all these people, and their message is really simple. They say, look, God brought this Messiah, Jesus Christ, to this earth. You guys killed him. God raised him up. Say you're sorry. That's like the the, the essence of their story. Look. Jesus brought the Messiah, the Savior of this earth, your Savior to this earth. You killed him. Despite that, God raised him from the dead. Now say you're sorry. This should not be a movement that grows at all. How does it? Why does it? Now Paul is an incredibly intelligent Jew. He's a leader of the Jewish people. He's smart. He's educated. He knows scriptures. And all of a sudden, he says, I'm sorry. He says, I I believe. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's shocking to everybody. And they're angry with him. Now imagine you're Paul. It's not just the Jewish leaders that are mad at you because you've become a Christian. The Christians look at you and wonder, who are you? You are one of them. I mean, are we, can we even trust you? Now listen to his story. Listen to the depth of this. This is crazy. He said, therefore I beg you, listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion living as a Pharisee. And now, it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I had to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven. 
brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Now hold up. (laughs) I love that. I don't know how many of you had an experience where Jesus showed up in a spotlight around your life. But in this moment, this light shines. Saul is shocked. Jesus begins to speak to him. And listen to that again, what he said. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness, now listen to this, of what you have seen and will see of me. See, this is like this incredible reminder that Paul is a mess. He is not the person that Jesus should probably go to and say, hey, I've got a plan for you. It's not who I would pick. It's definitely not who any of us would pick. We would say, okay, the light's shining around him. This is the moment that God is going to judge him. This is the moment that God is going to kill him. Because that's, that's how we think about things. We think if I showed up, if Jesus showed up and saw me who I am for who I am right here, right now, I'm probably not going to survive this. How am I worthy? And then, I love what he says. He says, I'm going to have you testify. I'm going to have you witness to things that you've seen. And then he adds this little phrase, and the things you will see. See, God doesn't just have plans right then. He doesn't just say, okay, Paul, I've got some ideas here about you right now. He already believes in Paul in the future. He says, I've got plans ahead of you for what you're going to see. Do you notice he doesn't even ask? (laughs) He's not even like, so Paul, what do you think? You want to follow? He just tells him, I've got plans for you that you're going to see and you're going to witness to, you're going to testify about. Then he goes on. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes And turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. So they may receive forgiveness of sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That is crystal clear. I am sending you to open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. He says so they may receive forgiveness. And a place, a place among me. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. 
first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. (laughs) He says, I preach this message that they should receive forgiveness because you sent the Messiah, because we killed him, because you raised him from the dead. We say we're sorry. We ask for forgiveness. We say we want to follow him. That is what he preached. Then he goes on. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and what Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and is the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Paul experienced change. Everything about his life completely turned upside down. His life isn't about Paul anymore at all. His life is all about Jesus. This is a man who persecuted Christians, and then he becomes one of them. I wrote it down this way, and I want you to hear this. I said this, a man who was judgmental and hateful, had his eyes opened and love became his only language. An angry, bitter Saul became Paul. He spends his entire life seeking to help other people live like Jesus because Jesus has changed his life. So a few years later, Paul begins going around. He begins writing these letters to all these people. Because there's questions in that. Okay, so now I've said I'm going to follow Jesus. What, what does it look like to follow him? What, how do I do that? What are the things that happen in my life? How do I, what happens here? And so there's all these questions. And he begins to write these letters, helping people understand here's what happens in your life and here's the things you need to think about. Here's the things you need to focus on because this change matters. Then he sits down, he writes this letter to these people in the city of Corinth. And man, if you want to find a couple letters of a church that is messed up, it's Corinth. This place was as messed up with full of hypocrites and idiots and people who couldn't figure it out more than any church that you could ever find. Folks, they were worse than we are. This place was a mess. See, sometimes we think, oh, the scriptures are full of perfect people. No, they're full of messy people because that's the point. So he writes this letter to these people. And when he writes this letter, I think think when he pens this, there has to be a part of Paul that was thinking about his own life. Because then he writes to them. Listen what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 
And over the past few months, we have been on this huge journey. And maybe you didn't realize it, and maybe you did, but we started talking about finding our way back to God. Finding our way back to Jesus. And in that journey, we began to realize that oftentimes, what gets in the way of us finding our way back to God is ourselves. It's our fear that we're not good enough. It's our fear that we don't think that God could do anything with us. What would he want with me? As we got through that, we realized that he brushes all of those aside and the path is absolutely clear to run to Jesus because none of those things are standing in our way. He says, you are good enough. Actually, he says, you're not good enough, but I've made you good enough. And he says, and I need you to complete what I'm doing. And then we talked about not just finding your way back, but then what does it mean to follow? We looked at all these statements that Jesus said, come and follow me. And we saw that the people he said that to were the people who didn't have it together. The people whose lives were a mess. The people who thought they could never fit. And the people who said no, the people who said no, I don't want to follow. There are people who thought they knew everything. There are people who thought they already had it all together. It was the desperate people. It was the sinning people. So people whose lives were a mess that said, I'll follow. It gives hope to every single one of us. What I want to do now is I want to turn a corner, kind of like another chapter on this book that we've been writing. And I want to talk about that when you find Jesus and you follow Jesus, then Jesus changes you. And that's exactly what we see with Paul. That Paul was searching, Paul was fighting, and Paul finally found the God who was so desperate for him and loved him so much. And then Paul, even when he probably didn't want anything to do, and he says it, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I don't even like these Jesus people, God fought for Paul and said, no, you're not going. I want you, I have a plan for you, I have a desire for you. You're going to follow me. And Paul's life didn't just stay the same. Paul didn't just stay Paul. He didn't just stay Saul. He didn't just stay this guy who was just, you know, he says, oh, well, yeah, I guess Jesus sounds cool, sounds great. Okay, cool. Everything changed in his life. See, when we get into a new year like this, how many of us sit there and go, I wish things could change? If just this one thing changed over here, you know, my life would look totally different. If I just did this, my life would look totally different. If I did this over here, my life would look totally different. And yeah, we might all see some like aesthetic changes in our life. Some of us might start, I don't know, getting up earlier. Some of us might work out a little more. You know, some of us will invest more into our families and all those are really good things but it's not the real change. It's just wishing for change. Paul here talks about actual, real change. He talks about a brand new way of living. A way of living that is complete and that is whole. And listen to the words one more time. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. You notice over and over and over again these powerful scriptures, we keep coming back to this. Jesus said, if anyone. And then he gives an invitation to follow. Now Paul says, if anyone is in Christ. There are no more excuses here. Both Jesus and Paul use this language, if anyone. And do you know what the Greek word for anyone there is? It's anyone. There's no trick. There's no secret. There's not something you have to figure out. It means anyone. All of us. Everybody here. If anyone is in Christ, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, the new creation has come. What an awesome word. The old has gone. The new is here. So I want to invite you on a journey over the next few weeks that we're going to take together to talk about living brand new. Not wishing for change, not hoping for change, but actually experiencing change that comes from finding Jesus and following Jesus. And look, if you like who you are, if you just want to keep living for you, that's fine. You probably don't want to come. But the rest of us are going to start a killer journey. As we look at this idea that everything can change. So I want to invite you to see how when you find Jesus, you follow him, your life will never look the same. It's not about a new year. It's not about the earth floating around the sun one more time. It's about everything changing. And that's huge. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the life of Paul. I thank you for his story. God, that reminds us that we are not alone in any of this. God, that if you can take Paul and somebody like Paul can, can find you and can follow you and can experience change in life, God, then, then, then it, we can too. God, I pray that over the next few weeks that we would be faithful. God, that we would come ready to learn, to experience, to grow, to find out what it means to truly follow you to experience change in our hearts and our lives as we give everything to you. God, we love you. Amen. So before the band plays, um, it's interesting going into a series called Brand New um, because it sort of highlights this idea that there's newness, there's change, there's something different. And I want to tell you about a change that we're going to have. That we're going to see here at Southeast that's um, going to be two things. It's going to be really hard, and it's going to be sad, and it's going to be a little depressing. Um, but it's also going to be ridiculously exciting. A couple of weeks ago, we had the last of our Christmas parties. I'm not going to make it, by the way, through this. 
we had the last of our Christmas parties, and we, uh, we were finishing up, and we did three parties, and Jared and I are driving together. He says, hey, go back to your house. Can we, uh, can we hang out for a few minutes? Can we just sit on your couch and talk? And we do this a lot, and we've done this a lot over the last four years. And I said, yeah, come on, let's, let's go hang out. Usually FIFA's involved, and yeah. But there were no video games, so I knew this was serious. <laughs> and Jared looks at me, and he goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know that... Um, the end of January, I'm going to be moving on. I, uh, I got an opportunity, and I've been praying about it. And we sat together, and we prayed. And we cried, and we prayed and at different times. And we've cried, and we laughed together, and we were happy, and then we were crying, and we're like a bunch of girls. It was terrible. But <laughs> the other night, we went out to, um, we went out to City Barbecue, where, where this relationship began. And uh, we had our first date. And uh, we, <laughs> we sat together and, and we just, I don't know, we, we cried a little bit, but we were both happy. I know that Jared, Jared's heart is for where God wants him to be. And I want to tell you this whole story because the story is incredible. It's, it's, it's almost, it's, it's unbelievable, really. So I kind of said, I don't know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Where are we going to go from here? I, I can't imagine this. This is like my little brother. And this guy has meant the world to me. He's been with me through this place since the very beginning, and it's hard to even imagine him not standing here next to me. And uh, <laughs> so I made a call to a bunch of different people, and I said, hey, you know, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I don't want to lead worship because that's a terrible idea. So we really need to, to find somebody. And so I called all the band and said, you know, different musicians and said, hey, who do you know? And obviously, you don't, probably don't know another Jared because that would be the guy that would be perfect for this job. But do you know anybody else kind of like him, you know? Steve Crawley, who plays uh, occasionally guitar, I said, Steve, I said, you've been with us since the very beginning of this place. I said, do, do you know anybody? He's like, oh, dude, that's going to be hard. I'm like, that's not what I need to hear right now. <laughs> do, do you know anybody that would be a good, a good fit for this thing? And he said, yeah, he said, actually, uh, I don't know. Let me, just, let me pray about it, I'll let you know. He said he's driving on the road, and he has an epiphany, and a person's name. So he pulls off, and he talks to this guy, and the guy calls me. And uh, over the next few days, he and I start talking, and, and as Jared and I are talking about, okay, what's it going to look like as you go, all of a sudden God places this person in our lives who says, I want to be with you guys into the future. someone who's played all over Indianapolis and different bands and played House of Blues in Chicago, has incredible talent, way above our pay grade, just like Jared's way above our pay grade. And on Friday, I offered this person the role to come and join our family. And here's the crazy part about this that made no sense. <laughs> he was looking for something new while we were looking for something. Jared found something new and Cause us to look for something. So, I mean, this, I don't like to say things like God has perfect timing because sometimes it sounds cliche. But I've never seen anything work in such a clear way. So, these two crazy guys on their own come up with this idea that I've never heard of before. It didn't make any sense to me at all because this isn't the way you do church. Jared's like, well, how about we do a weekend where I'll lead, and then he can come, and we can lead together. And I was like, no, who does that? That's not normal. 
that's weird. And then I'm sitting with my friend Chad, and he says, hey, can I come on the 22nd and play guitar and lead with Jared? Would he be cool with that? And I was like, these guys are a bunch of idiots. Who does this? And all of a sudden, I realized this is Southeast. It, it only makes sense because this is the way that we do things. Now, here's what I want you to understand about this. It is hard to lose one of my best friends. When you do this together, when you're on the same team together, when you're in the trenches together, you have the same battle scars. And I know for Jared, this is not an easy thing. I don't think I've ever seen a guy so depressed to leave a job in my entire life. Usually you're happy to leave. But I know it's hard. But here's what I realized. Southeast, this place, this is a sending church. There have been people who have been a part of this community who have been sent to all kinds of places. Mike Hooven was a part of this church and was a huge part of our team. He used to preach every month and he was a great friend of mine and I thought, I'll never know, what can I ever do without Mike? And Mike got a job, he got a full-time job preaching in, in, in Denver, in Colorado. And he's like, I'm going to go. And I was like, oh, I hate to see you go. But, but I know that you're taking a little bit of Southeast with you. Hopefully the good parts. And Mike took a little bit of Southeast with him somewhere else. We've had people who have been a part of this church, part of this community, that are all over the country. In places like Virginia, and Colorado, and Florida, and all over the place, all over Indianapolis even for that matter. Just people who moved to different sides of town and just said, I, I, feel, I feel it's time to go somewhere different. And they took Southeast with them. And so what I realized was, Jared's going somewhere that isn't really like Southeast. <laughs> and Jared is going to take a little bit of Southeast with him. So we're not really saying goodbye to Jared. I, I, I really feel we're just saying, see you later, dude. This isn't a goodbye to anybody. This is, our friend is going. We're sending him off to do something cool. And if we sit here and go, no, you can't go. That's not fair to us. Well, that fights against everything that Southeast is about. That's selfishness. If God has a plan and a place that he wants Jared to go, what do we do? We cheer. We celebrate. Because if something from this place can go somewhere else, that's a huge thing. And then I started thinking about it this way. Some of you haven't been here very long. Maybe you've been here six months. Maybe you've been here a week. Maybe you've been here three years. That's not a very long time. But it seems like every time that somebody gets sent off to go somewhere else, we look around and we go, what are we going to do without them? Do you know how important they are to our church? Do you know what they meant to our family? You know, they were in this small group and they were like a huge part of this place. How are we going to survive without them? We kind of get mad, right? We grieve them. We're like, you can't leave. And then you showed up. And you showed up. And you showed up. And you showed up. And, and you showed up. And we didn't say goodbye to those people. We said, hey, go take some Southeast with you and go do something cool. We'll see you later. And then you came in and you became a part of our family. And you became a part of Southeast. And we can't imagine life without you. So we're about to invite someone in to become a part of Southeast.
who's never been a part of Southeast before, who sat with me at Chicago's. And I can't wait for you to meet this guy because I sat at the Chicago's and I said, hey, what do you think about? Would you be interested in leading worship at Southeast? And he goes, yes! And I was like, you'll fit in perfect. <laughs> and here's what I realized. I wanted to tell this whole story. Because what we're going to do is over the next month, we are going to celebrate this guy. We're going to honor this guy. And we're going to say thank you to this guy. And we're going to hug him and we're going to cry and we're going to send Jared off in the best Southeast way that we can think of. But it's not the story isn't complete without realizing that we're also welcoming somebody in into our family. And that changes everything. Because there's always going to be a Jared-sized hole. It's small, but it's there. It's short. Big heart. And we'll always miss that. But isn't God awesome? That he has said, I'm going to send somebody out. But in my timing, I'm also bringing somebody in. That's amazing to me. But it's how it's always been here. So the band's going to lead and Jared's going to lead a few weeks. Oh, but anyways, let me, let me run back. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. So these two idiots, <laughs> on their own, start talking about that and come up with this idea. Let's lead together. Who does that? <laughs> How exciting is that? You don't want to miss January 22nd when we have two guys who are stupid talented coming here together to lead us in worship. One saying, hey, thanks for the memories, thanks for the fun. And one saying, I can't wait to get started with all of you. That is stupid cool. So I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be a blast. So let's be like 2016 for a little bit here. Let's cry a little. Let's cheer a little. Let's have a little depression. Let's have a little happiness. All those mixed emotions are totally fine. But let's just remember one thing, that we're all here together to worship God, to follow him wherever he leads. And I think Jared is setting a great example for us. That sometimes you pray dangerous prayers and God answers them with things that you're not ready for, but you're faithful to it. And he's faithful to us. So let's stand together. Let's stand as a community. Let's worship together.